I'm Dwayne Arledge, Connections Pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies. It's my privilege to speak uh, in place of Pastor Charlie this weekend. Overwhelmed. You saw some images of someone who is overwhelmed. There are a lot of circumstances that can cause us to feel overwhelmed. But one of the ones, and the one we'll talk about today, is when somebody we trust deeply lets us down. When a friend or a family member fails us. Now, don't raise your hands. Don't respond aloud. Don't receive a text. Everyone take their phones out. Turn them off. Okay, thank you. Do not respond to this except in here and in your heart. Have you ever had a friend or a close family member fail you. Everybody has. If you've lived more than a few minutes, you've probably experienced that. And what's more, if I ask the other side of that question, have you failed a friend or a family member? The answer almost surely would be the same unless we're not being honest with ourselves because we fail others as well. But When that friend or family member fails you, and you have probably an epic one in your, in your mind already of, of somebody who really failed you, how did you respond? You disappointed? Was your first reaction disbelief that they actually did that? Did you immediately get angry? Or were you deeply hurt? Did you go to them and try to straighten it out? That usually ends really well, doesn't it? Did you withdraw from any contact with them? And maybe from that till this day, maybe years, and you still have no contact with that person because they failed you in such a huge way. Did you get in a fight with them? Are you still angry years later? And here's a real test. If it was years ago, can you talk about it today without being angry yet again. We're studying the life of Job, J-O-B. It looks like Job to us, but hey, in the Bible, it's Job. We're going to look at some other names that are interesting today. But this, this man, Job, went through some drastic life circumstances. And we want to look at one glimpse of his interaction with family and friends today. It's a long glimpse. It covers a lot of the book of Job in the Bible. But to, ter- to determine how we should respond when friends or family members fail us, which is often at our time that we at least think is our deepest need. Now, last week Pastor Charlie talked about all the things that happened to Job. <clears throat> he lost his family, his, his children. His adult children were killed. He lost all of his wealth, his herds and everything. A guy who was probably a multimillionaire or billionaire in his day, one of the richest in the immediate area, and he became overnight a pauper who was ill, who had uh, sores all over his body. He went from the top to the bottom. And here's what Job did, just a reminder from last week. Then he arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. I can relate all the way up to this next phrase and worshiped. 
is our immediate response when those kinds of things happen to worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He didn't sin by blaming God. Why are you doing this, God? And so, then in the middle of that, his wife, Mrs. Job, the pastor Charlie told us last week to not be too hard on, kind of was the first to have an epic fail, but hey, she had been through a lot. But anyway, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? In other words, are you still saying, hey, I love God, I trust God, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with God. She said, curse God and die. But he said, you speak as one of the foolish women. Hey, that's not how you've ever spoken before. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Oh, I wish in all the times people have failed me and many other times that I could say that about Dwayne. I dare say you wish you could say that about you. Oh, in that time I did not sin with my lips. It's a challenging thing to do for us, isn't it? Well, then Job's friends come. He's in a mess. And he has three friends who come, the Bible tells us, in, uh, in uh, chapter 2. When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. So the picture we have here is three other guys who are probably the wealthiest men in their little kingdoms or large kingdoms or whatever it was, who were friends with Job. It was like the billionaire's club. And they decided, they heard about Job, and they decided they were going to come, encourage, and comfort him. Eliphaz the Temanite, do you ever wonder in some place somewhere if they aren't reading some names represented here, reading a list of our names and going, where do these people get these names? You know, John, Bill, Susie. Uh, so these are the names we wrestle with, but hey, these are real people. Eliphaz the Temanite. Bildad the Shuhite. By the way, he's the shortest guy in the Bible, you know. Shuhite. You get it? Okay. My adult children still say, oh no, dad's telling jokes again. And Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. They're starting off really well. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. He was covered with sores. He was, he was so ill. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, all signs of deep grief. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Now, I would submit to you that a miracle probably occurred right there. Anytime three friends come to see you and initially don't start giving you advice of, of what you can do to fix things, but they just sit down for seven days and seven nights and they just grieve with you. They started really, really well. Now, it didn't end as well and it didn't progress quite as well, but they started really well. And then Job began to tell them what had happened and what was happening and how he placed his trust in God, how he had done nothing to anger or offend God. And after listening for quite some time, then the free, three friends 
who each had their preconceived ideas about who God was, how God had to act and respond. They had God in this nice little box, and they had him all figured out, and they were about to tell Job how he could have God figured out too. So, round one, the three friends each speak. Now, now here's the pick. As you read the book of Job, here's how it kind of flows. One guy will lay his wisdom on Job, and then Job will respond. Uh, not at all like our conversations where we all talk at once, you know. Then, then, the, then another friend talks for a long time, and Job responds for a long while. So as you're reading the book of Job, just put that in your mind. That's how it goes. Now, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures. I'm going to give you the highlights, tell you where they're found, challenge you to go read the story of how his friends try to encourage him, all right? In round one, Eliphaz, chapter four, he finally listens to Job for long enough that he says, Job, the innocent do not suffer. In other words, you're not innocent. You have sinned, and that's why you're suffering, because you've sinned so much that God's doing all this terrible stuff to you. Encouraging, right? Bildad, the short guy, he says in chapter 8, your sons were punished for their transgressions. That's like adding insult to injury or taking the wounds and just pouring salt in them. He's already said, you're a sinner, Job. And then he says, well, the reason all of your kids were killed is they're sinners too. They've transgressed the law. Then Zophar, in chapter 11, says finally to Job, after Job has responded to the other two men, he says, Job, you are wicked. Now, it's one thing to tell somebody you committed a sin. You did something that was wrong, sinful. We all do that. We'll accept that. But it's quite another thing to say, you know what? You're not only a sinner, you're just wicked. You're an evil person. You desire evil. You desire to do evil. Round two, after Job responds to all three of them, Eliphaz comes back. And finally, he says to Job, who keeps insisting that he's innocent. And he says, Job, in chapter 15, you're a liar. Then Bildad comes in 18, chapter 18 and says, Job, you don't even know God. And then somewhere, a fourth guy has shown up, and he's been listening. He's the younger Youngest of all the four supposed friends. And he has been listening while the other three spoke back and forth, back and forth. And then finally in chapter 32, he says, I've listened in silence for a long time. And Job, these three guys don't know what they're talking about. Well, Job probably agreed with him momentarily. Then in chapter 33, he says this, listen to me. You read it, chapter 33. I am righteous and I have knowledge. Now listen, I understand. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, when we're born again, He comes into our heart and our life and He gives us salvation. He forgives us and He gives us a new life and He gives us His righteousness. I get that. I believe that with all my heart. But nowhere in Scripture do I see a precedent for any one of us going to the other person and saying, okay, son, listen up. I'm righteous here because the strong implication is, and you're not, and I have knowledge. In other words, I'm better than you. I almost said gooder than you. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
The Missouri hillbilly just comes out once in a while. I'm better than you, and I'm smarter than you, so listen up. And then he turns to Job in chapter 33, and he says, and by the way, Job, you're not right either. So this fourth guy comes along. Job thinks he's got a little bit of ray of light here, and then he just blows Job right out the door again. Basically, he, Elihu is his name. He says, all four of you guys are morons. Listen to me. And then he speaks for quite a long while, the same junk that his friends have been saying all along. Now, while I'm telling this story, some of you may be thinking, I, I have friends and family just like that. That's the way they try to help me. And they're no help at all. Well, here's an important fact I want you to learn. I believe we all need to learn and be reminded of this. First thing I want you to get today is this. Your friends and family will fail you. I'm not being a cynic. I don't have a crummy outlook on life. That's a realistic view of what God's Word teaches us. Here's why. When we look for our emotional support, when we look for our sense of well-being, our comfort, our encouragement to come from other human beings, we are putting those human beings in the place of God. And so we're looking to them and, and other people are looking to us often for something we are not equipped to give. And, and besides that, every one of us is going to sin. Those who have been born again still sin. The difference is we have the Holy Spirit living in us who will direct us, who will convict us, who will draw us back into obedience, and the Father offers uh, continued forgiveness for those of us who've been born again. But we will sin. And so what we're doing is we're taking a person who has a tendency towards sin and we're expecting them to always choose what's right, what's good, what's holy, what's righteous, and always treat us in the way we think we should be treated. Now, only the Lord is capable of always being holy. And even He doesn't treat us the way we think we should be treated all the time because we're not smart enough to know what God ought to be doing all the time. But those friends fail you. And so, they may tell you, well, you just need more faith and, you, and you'll be fine. And so you try to conjure up some more faith and you're not fine at all. You get worse. And then they tell you, well, maybe there's some terrible sin in your life. You know, kind of the same path Job's friends went down. Or if they're not believers in Jesus Christ, they haven't been born again, maybe they'll say to you, you're out of your mind for trusting God. Or like Job's wife, maybe you need to just curse God and die. You'd be better off. Why are you trusting this God guy anyway? Jesus even spoke to this. Luke chapter 21, Jesus told his disciples, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Now, many of those were martyred, but he's telling them ahead of time. The people who will deliver you up are the people you're trusting. And some of you they'll put to death. The bottom line is this. When we look to people for what only God can provide, they will fail us. So, if, if, if I know people are going to fail me, then I have two questions that I need answered. Because I want to walk with God. I want to obey God. So the first question is this. How should I respond when friends and family fail me? In other words, it was so painful when other people failed me. 
I don't want to do that to other people, and I don't want other people hating on me the way I've hated on some of those people who failed me. So I want to, I want to know how I should respond when they fail me. So most of us know how to respond poorly. We've done that numerous times. We just kind of blow up, and then we try to put the pieces together. But let's look at how God would have us respond. Now, what, what, the two questions I have, the answers for those questions are not the only answers in the world, all right? But these are what I call big rocks in the jar. And that means if you want the big rocks in a jar, you'd better put them in before you start pouring gravel and sand in there, or before you know it, that jar will be full of sand and gravel, and you can't get the big rocks in there. These are big rock kind of things today, okay? Here's how I respond. So the first thing is, I need to remember that my trust is in God, not in people. In God, not in people. Remember again, now I'm not being a cynic. I'm just realizing that the level of trust I need to get me through all of life is only going to be fulfilled in God. So let me give you give you an illustration God has shown me recently. It will sound like I'm taking a big detour, but I promise you I'll be back right, right here where we just left off, okay? Those of you who know me well know I like a clean car. I really like a clean car. And so I was thrilled when the Patriot Car Wash opened over here and, and they had a monthly subscription rate. I can wash my car all the time. Or I can have them wash my car all the time. And so it was like, a new lease on life for me. Now, some of you laughing at me, some of you are thinking, yeah, I get it, man. Because there's some here, we have a small support group here that's growing of, of those of us who have this, obje- I mean, this uh, healthy uh, desire to have a clean car. I have her permission to say this, but Karen Jones, Pastor Charlie's wife, uh, probably should be president of our group. Uh, we have this compulsion to have a clean car. The difference between Karen Jones and me is I didn't adopt my car into the family. I don't consider them one of my family members. Okay, she does. But we're, we're serious about our cars being washed. So <clears throat> a while back I was sitting there, you know, after you pull up, they pointed the sign and to put it in neutral. And I put it in neutral and I'm sitting there. It's taking me through the car wash and the brushes go over the top. And then the brushes are, that turn this way and go around the car are getting ready to come and they're coming at me, or I'm going at them, I don't know which it is, and they're moving from the right side at an angle toward the front of my car. And I had been looking at something in the car seat or doing something with my phone, and I looked up, and the optical illusion said to me that my car was off track and was headed for the right-hand wall. Physically, I grabbed the wheel before I realized that I needed to look at the wall, and I realized... I'm just trucking along. It's taking me right along the same path that it always takes me. Everything is fine. You know what happened? I looked at those brushes coming in an angle, and the optical illusion caused me to think that here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to grab the wheel, drop it in drive, and push on the gas, and cut my wheel to the left, and get away from that wall on the right. If that had happened, I would have been sad. <laughs> Larry... My friend who comes here to church who operates this car wash would have been really sad. Maybe beyond sad because I would have wrecked his car wash mechanism. I would have wrecked my car. And the people behind me would have been angry because they're all lined up waiting to get through there and I just shut it down. You see, 
We do that with relationships. I'm back now, right? We do that with relationships. Somebody lets us down, and we focus on that, and we're so upset, and we're trying to get them to do right, and trying to get them to change, and understand how they've hurt us. And so, we put it in gear, and we cut the wheel, and we mash it to the floor, and we run over everybody, and then we say, God, what's wrong with my relationships? Why did you do this to me? You get the picture? We're looking at the wrong place. We're focusing on the wrong things. Uh, the prophet Micah understood that. Let's look at what he says. He said, put no trust in your neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. He's not a cynic. He's just talking about when they let you down. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son who treats, the son treats his father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Then he finally gets to the answer. All of that's focusing on the wrong thing. He says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He understood this. You glance at those circumstances. Just like now, going through the car wash. I have to glance at those brushes and then I look back at the wall. To reassure me, everything's still solid over here. Nothing's moving. All right? The prophet Micah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that. Even Job gets this. In chapter 13, in the middle of all of this stuff, he says about God, though he slay me, I will hope in him. In other words, even if God kills me, I'm still going to place my hope in him. We glance at the circumstances. We glance at those people who may let us down, and we put our gaze on God. We fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we won't be tempted to slam it in gear and cut the wheel and rev the engine and run over everybody and cause a mess. Second big rock you need in the jar. Realize that God's working on your character and integrity through this situation. James 1, 2 through 4 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Most of you are just like me. I could care less if I have perseverance. I would rather have easy street, right? But let's keep reading. It says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. All of us want to be mature and complete. We want to grow up. But we'd like to do it without that perseverance thing. God works on our character and our integrity. In this life, we will have struggles. If you're listening to people who tell you, give your life to Jesus and you'll never have another problem, Please tell them to go read the Bible. That's just not truth. In this life, we will have trouble, but we have Jesus Christ. We have hope. Third big rock to put in your jar. Don't respond in kind. Don't respond with the same stuff they give you. Don't say, if you give me some of this, I'll give you a whole lot of this. You give me a little bit of that, I'll give you a whole lot more of that. That is not the way we're to respond. Romans 12 tells us how to respond Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is not mine, says Duane. I've tried that. You've tried that. We know how it works. It's God's. Okay? So, Those are some of the big rock answers to that first question. 
Second question I have is this. Since I've experienced the pain, since you've experienced the pain of somebody failing you, then I want to know how I can guard against failing my friends and family because I don't want to be the same kind of bum that I think they have been toward me, just while we're being honest, all right? I, I hope to be different than some of those people have been toward you or toward me. So we need to remember now, as, even as we ask that question, we're not going to reach perfection. We will fail other people. But we would like to minimize that because we don't want to do what other people have had. There are four choices you can make. These are big rocks kind of things, okay? Four choices you have to make. Notice I didn't say there are four things you need to feel. These are choices. And you make them under the power of the Holy Spirit. The first choice is this, choose to love. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the kind of love. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but don't have love, I am a big fat zero. I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, in other words, if I give my body to be burned as a martyr for Jesus Christ even and don't have love, I gain nothing. When we are confronted with a conflicting, hateful, hate-filled situation, we have two choices, either to love or to get revenge. And we just read the Bible saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So your flesh will want revenge. The Holy Spirit in you is the only one who can produce the desire and the ability to love. The God kind of love I'm talking about. The love that loves even when the person doesn't give in return. That's the God kind of love. Second choice we need to make is this. Choose to give grace. Grace is undeserved forgiveness. Did any of you deserve the forgiveness God gave you? Let me give you the answer. No. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. That's grace. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, Peter came to Jesus once and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he's, he's thinking, I, I believe Peter's thinking, I'll, I'll put a big number out there. Uh, how about seven times, Jesus? And Jesus says, I don't say seven times, I say 77 times. Now, I know Peter had to be floored because every time I read this, I'm thinking of, of people in my life and I'm going, 77 times? That gets really old. Stick with me. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Put on then, just like a garment, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How do we forgive each other? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive the way the Lord forgave you. So you just pile up the, all the things that the Lord has forgiven you of, those of you who've been born again. We don't have enough time to make the list from our whole life, do we? That's the way He asks us for, to forgive others. So here's what I would say. I can't do that. You can't do that. You know how we choose to forgive? In the power of the Holy Spirit. He says He gives His Holy Spirit to everyone who's been born again. He lives in us. And so he will do in us and through us what we cannot do 
ourselves. That's why the, there's hope in the Christian life because anything he asks us to do, he gives us the ability to do it. It's not within us, it's him. So if you do this, if you'll choose to let him do this, offer forgiveness every time, it will set you free. Pastor Charlie has often said, unforgiveness is like drinking acid and hoping it hurts the other person. So choose grace. Third choice, choose to only see what God sees. Ask God to give you spiritual eyes. You see, I can't look at you, you can't look at me and go, I know exactly what you're thinking. Now, those of you who have been married a while, you know, Summer and I, my wife and I play that little game of, you'll start to say something, and they'll finish the sentence, and you go, oh, just be quiet. You think you know everything I'm going to say and everything I'm thinking. A lot of times it's true, but it cannot ever always be true, except with God. And God always knows everything. He sees everything. So choose to only see what God sees. Now, Isaiah 55 gives us a little insight here. God says through that prophet, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, so God's ways, His thoughts, His views, His ability to see far exceed mine. And so I go to Him and I ask Him. Quick illustration, a church I was in in the early 1990s before I moved to Denver. His church in the Midwest. And I was one of the pastors on staff. The senior pastor was a good friend of mine as well as being my senior pastor. And some, a power group in the church called an all-church get-together meeting on Sunday night. And their goal was they were bent out of shape with the senior pastor. And their goal was to present enough evidence to get him fired at that meeting. So I sat in the back of the room at that meeting and listened to, to men stand and speak what I believed with all my heart were lies about my friend and senior pastor. And as I was sitting there, literally with hate filling my heart, and the thoughts, I, I'm not even willing to openly say the, the things I was thinking I wish would happen to those guys who were standing and speaking, okay? But God said to me, do you think I love you more than I love them? Well, that kind of stopped me. And then God Ask me, what do you think I'm trying to do in that guy's life and in that guy's life and that guy's life? Do you think I'm working in his life? Do you think I desire to redeem him? Do you think I desire? And it just washed over me that God loved every one of those people I was hating on every bit as much as he loved me. And I knew I was desperately dependent on him loving me totally. So there in that meeting, I said, God, I don't feel like it now. I don't really even really want to do this, but I know I need to. You give me the ability. I forgive these guys for everything they've done. Would you give me a love for these guys? I want to see them the way you see them. Listen, God transformed the way I looked at that whole church. From that day till this, there's been a whole different attitude about all the crazy things that happened there. Choose to only see what God sees. And then the fourth choice. Choose to only say what God says. Why do we think we're smarter than God? Somebody fails us and we get bent out of shape and we just rip them open. And then we walk away and say, God, would you change the situation? Well, we just kind of made sure 
that it would take probably an act of God to change that situation by what we did that was out of line with what God would have us say. You tracking with me? We've been there and done that probably. So why do we launch out on our own, say whatever we feel, and then expect God to give us some amazing spiritual results? It doesn't happen that way. Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. I need what's coming from His mouth, just like you do. Now, how do I get that? Now, there aren't blanks there for you to fill in on this, but get these two things. First, I must know His Word. I have to know His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way, All scriptures breathed out by God are profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. God's Word is how I get that. If I want to hear from God on any day, I don't stand in the middle of a field and expect God to speak from the sky. I get in His Word. We do it here by life journaling. We just get in His Word. His Scripture is breathed out by God. That's the first thing I have to know. I have to know His Word if I'm going to say what God says. And the second thing I need to understand if I'm going to say what God says is I have to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Christ who's our head, basically. So the way we grow up is we speak the truth in love to each other. We can speak the truth without love. We can take truth and just slash somebody. And we can love someone and be scared of speaking the truth because we might hurt their feelings. But if we'll do both of those things, speak the truth in love, the Bible says we can all grow up. We can act like spiritual grown-ups because we're accustomed to speaking the truth in love and we're accustomed to hearing the truth in love. And when we come to that kind of place under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then we can all act like grown-ups. We will have less and less of these epic fails that we have in relationships with each other. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Listen now, this is the most important time of the worship service. It's not a time to be getting ready to leave. It's not a time to be slipping out early. Why? Because everything we've sung and said in worship, everything we've heard taught from God's Word, culminates at this point when God says to me or to you, Dwayne, I want you to do this. I want you to trust me with this thing. And so, every person here, every one of us has two choices right now, or two, two assignments from God. We're, you're either coming to receive prayer because the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you about some area of your life that He wants you to receive prayer and have somebody help bear your burdens and speak the truth of Scripture to you. Or the other assignment we have from the Holy Spirit is to just kind of be here huddled together for a few moments and pray for every prayer partner that they'll have wisdom beyond their ability. Pray for every person receiving prayer that they will get the answers from God that they need that day and that we will hear what God is saying to each of us. So at every service, at the end of every service, we offer the opportunity for people to receive prayer. Our prayer partners come and they stand here and they wait for the opportunity to minister to you and pray with you and help bear your burden. You already know who you are if God's been speaking to you about receiving prayer. Maybe you need prayer for some uh, issue in your life that you're struggling with, some, some 
thing that's been thrust upon you that you didn't even expect, maybe loss of a job, loss of a loved one. Maybe you're facing some real trials. Maybe somebody just this week has let you down, failed you in a huge way. Maybe you need wisdom for a business decision, a life decision, uh, whatever you're facing. God has the answers. If you want to pray for family or children, our prayer partners will pray with you. Please don't leave without allowing us to pray for you and minister in this way. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray in just a moment. After I pray, I'll ask you to stand. When I ask you to stand, that is your signal to begin coming to the front. You won't be coming alone. Others will be coming with you. Our prayer partners will be coming along with you. Someone will meet you here to pray for you. Please don't leave without allowing us to pray for you. Father, whatever situation anybody in this room is facing this day, I pray that each one of us would trust you with that situation. And the ones you've already spoken to about receiving prayer and receiving ministry here today, I pray that they would have the courage to step out immediately and come for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.